I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Okay, I heard the funniest joke. Yeah? Okay, so a man goes to the doctor and he says, Doctor, I'm so depressed. Please help me. And the doctor's like, oh, okay, that's an easy fix. The circus is in town. Go see the show. They, they have the most wonderful clowns. And the, doc, and, and the man says, but doctor, there was a train wreck and all of the clowns have died. <laughs> see, it's a good joke. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, dear? We're talking about a train wreck. Yeah. We we are we are continuing on on part two of Great Train Wrecks of nineteen eighteen specifically yes yeah. yes uh, and today we are going to talk about the Hammond Circus train wreck mm-hmm. and a lot of other things that have to kind of do with it well the circus prove it then huh oh just you wait okay. So the Hammond Circus train wreck uh, happened on June 22nd, 1918. Happy 101st birthday. And happy anniversary to us. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I know that date so well. (laughs) That's our wedding anniversary. Wow. You had a birthday and you've been a year older for 12 hours and you're forgetting our anniversary now. I did not forget our anniversary when it happened. But you forgot what the date was. Hush. <laughs> so by the the 20th century, there were over 100 different circuses uh, traveling the U.S. Mm-hmm. About a third of them were traveling by rail. And about a third of them were good. Oh! Ooh. Take that circus industry. <laughs> So the circus that uh, we're going to be talking about is the Hagenbeck-Wallace Circus. Uh, At its peak, it was the second largest circus in America for, you know, a while. It's kind of like tall buildings. They hold it for a while, and then some other people come along, and you lose your title. Yeah, yeah. Um, We did a Guinness World Records episode. I I, I get it. (laughs) Ringling Brothers, uh, Barnum & Bailey Circus, as it existed back then, was like... Still number one when mm-hmm. they were number two. Being number two to them post-merger is still like, well, there's no shame in that. I, I don't know when their merger happened. I didn't really look it up. Well, they must have been merged. Otherwise, how could they be second? If they ride oh, both of yeah. them separately, they'd be okay. third. Yeah, okay. I was saying I didn't look up much about Barnum and Bailey. Like I, I figured out a riddle. <laughs> yeah. So we're, before we get to this wreck. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the circus. Naturally. This one began uh, as the Carl Hagenbeck Circus, uh, started by Carl Hagenbeck. He was born uh, June 1844. Uh, his father was a fishmonger mm-hmm. who like had a side business of buying and selling exotic animals. And he's like, hey, kid, you're 14. Here's a few seals and a polar bear. Have fun. <laughs> uh, and... That is a strange line of business to be in, because you'd think the seals and the polar bear would eat up all his fish. I guess because you're need, out fishing. He needs to you're sell like, the fish. Got a lot of fish. Sometimes you can't sell everything. Feed it to the polar bear, I guess. I don't know. All right. Uh, Carl was all like, cool. I'm going to train these animals. And I'm going to collect some more. Mm-hmm, so he mm-hmm. started going to different parts of the world. He's, he's going to be the very best like no one ever was. Bringing back lots of animals. Mm-hmm. His collection grew. He was known for like selling them, training them. 
people would come to him for different things. But that's not like all that he would go out and collect. Not all that he would bring back. Uh, in 1874, he started uh, to exhibit humans. Um, and how much fish did they eat? That's what I want to know. That's what you want to know? Yeah. Probably not a lot, because they probably weren't treated great. Oh, okay. Let's, let's go with the normal way these things go. So he started to exhibit uh, Samoan and Sami people, who were much more popular than the animals. Well, that's some comfort, I suppose. Uh, and he sent them touring around Europe. And then he, in 1876, he sent his agent to bring back some more animals and some Nubians um, who lived in present-day uh, Sudan and southern Egypt. Mm -hmm. And then he sent them touring around. He was not the first. <laughs> like, no, no. Fortunately, displaying humans in human zoos was done for a very long time, but he kind of took it a step farther and would often have the people displayed with the animals. Uh-huh. Not necessarily we're like, oh, this person's going to get eaten by a lion, but like, look at this habitat of where the animal and the people come from. Uh, uh, an educational tableau. A diorama, yes. but without mannequins. Yes. <laughs> so that's something. In 1880, he sent his agent to recruit a group of eight Inuit uh, people from Labrador, Canada. Maybe the agent is the real secret weapon in this circus. Like, I Maybe. Maybe. Abraham Elrikab uh, was one of these people, along with his family and another family. Mm -hmm. uh, he agreed to, to go in the hopes of earning money. Um, to pay back debt he and his father had to the, uh, or his late father had to the, to the Moravian mission store. Uh, mm -hmm. the Moravian church is one of the oldest Protestant dominations in the world. And at this time, there were a lot of missionaries in that part of Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, Abraham had converted and was also like apparently friends with a lot of missionaries who had come and had since left. And he was like, oh, maybe I can see some of my friends. Mm -hmm, it was very, mm -hmm. like, positive, apparently. Sure, sure. Uh, until this trip actually started, and then it wasn't quite so positive. As positive as things can begin when part of it is is uh, the burden of your late father's debts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, trying to look on the bright side, but... So they left uh, August 1880, and after a month they arrived in Germany and were sent from city to city. Uh, now, he kept a diary during his travels mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately expressed that things were not going very well. Yeah. Uh, as they went from German city to German city, uh, the 15-year-old girl from the other family suddenly died, then followed by her mother in the next city. Mm -hmm. About a month later, Abraham's own three-and-a-half-year-old daughter became sick, and then they finally diagnosed it as smallpox. Oh. Uh, she passed away, um, and the remaining five were vaccinated, uh, but it was too late because they all died within a week of smallpox. Uh, the person who had recruited them didn't get them vaccinated, even though it was required by law in Germany. Mm -hmm. And he admitted in his own personal diary that he just forgot. That seems like something you wouldn't even put down in your personal diary. <laughs> like incriminating like come <laughs> on uh so as i mentioned abraham kept a diary um which after he died was sent to relatives after his death 
It was translated and published in uh, the 19th century by members of the church, but it disappeared for an entire century. Um, In 1980, a copy was found. An article was published about these eight people uh, in Canadian Geographic. Um, And it was like the first time that their story was basically told to, you know, present day. Mm -hmm. Um, They'd kind of been written out of existence in history. Uh, In 2005, uh, his writings were published, and it was incredibly significant as it is the only account of a participant in, uh, you know, Carl Hagenbeck's Traveling Zoos, and one of the few ones that exist of someone writing down their experience doing these things. Yeah. His original diary is unfortunately still missing. So we're just going to take Canadian Geographic at their word? Hmm. No, we're going to take the (laughs) missionaries way back when's word who translated it. All right, all right. But in 2009, uh, a French-Canadian, France Rivet, was curious about what happened to the remains of these families. Mm Mm-hmm who, you know, died overseas. Um, She spent a year investigating and uncovered documents about an anthropologist in Paris having studied a skull cap of one of them. Because we're still, like, phrenology central. Yes. Scientific racism. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, There was also notes about plaster casts of the brains of Abraham and others. Always skulls with these people. Yes. It's always the skulls. Uh, So after some digging and contacting different people, she found that the French Natural History Museum did not have the skull cap, but they did have five fully mounted skeletons of the five people who died in Paris. Mm -hmm. So in 2014, um, all of this uh, investigation and research was released to the public. Uh, The museum director has confirmed that they are ready to help, you know, return the remains to Mm -hmm. uh, Labrador. And as of 2015, conversations were happening with the local government uh, in Canada um, between, you know, the the community mm-hmm. and the living relatives of the these people. Right. About what was going to be done, if they were going to bring it, if they weren't. As of right now, hasn't happened yet. Right. So, yeah, human zoos, not good. We've talked about them before. Mm-hmm. Um like in our uh, World's Fair episode. Our World's Fair episode. And you know what else with our World's Fair episode that this connects to? Is that Hagenbeck trained animals and took his circus uh, to the World's Columbian Exhibition in Chicago in 1893 and the Louisiana Purchase Exposition in 1904. Ah. Both things we've talked about many times. In 1905, he was sent by the German Empire to capture a thousand camels for use uh, in Africa. Use how? Like for soldiers to ride. Okay. A thousand war camels. Yes. Uh, And he was sent because he was very good at convincing animals to do stuff. Okay. Um, He just stood on the top of a dune and and rang a bell (laughs) shouting, here, camel, camel. Was he afraid that. that the camels were too big? Was he scared? <laughs> too big. I scared. <laughs> yes, yes. He he our goddaughter has been reincarnated <laughs> from the spirit of Carl Hagenbach. Too big. I scared. <laughs> Apparently though, he was not scared because he got a thousand of them. Okay. For as problematic as a lot of stuff he did was. 
Mm-hmm. He was one of the types of trainers that would not use fear so much mm-hmm. and force on animals. It was a lot more about positive reinforcement mm. and and trust. You, you catch a lot more camels with honey than vinegar. <laughs> yeah. So in 1907, he sold his uh, share of the circus. Um, and we'll talk more about what comes of the circus later. There's, um, a, there's a train wreck. I know that. <laughs> there is a train wreck. Um, and so he focused on opening a permanent uh, exhibit where animals could live in surroundings like their natural homes. So he created the concept of the modern zoo as we know it now. Oh. Um, animal enclosures without bars that looked like natural habitats used moats instead of cages. Yeah, yeah. Um, this change in zoo architecture um, initiated by him was known as like the Hagenbeck Revolution. So mm-hmm. it started to take off more. Also, the monkeys had guns. Yes. Revolution! <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, so in 1907, Tier Park Hagenbeck opened in Hamburg. Uh, it was Germany's most successfully successful. Germany's most successful privately owned zoo um, and is still in operation, from what I can tell. Congratulations. Um, He also supervised the building of the building of the Giardano Zoologico in Rome. Mm -hmm. So another zoo. Obviously, zoos have come a much farther long way since Mm -hmm. then, but he he kicked off the idea behind what we know now. Mm Mm-hmm. Zoos as comfortable habitats for for research and education instead of, if you give me five bucks, you can poke it with a stick. Well, I don't know so much research and education was going on, but much more comfort of animal, pleasant. A step along that path. Yes. Yeah. Um, So he died uh, April 14th, 1913 in Hamburg from snakebite. It was probably a boom slang, uh, which was highly venomous. Uh, it can open its jaw 170 degrees. That's pretty hot. Um, wide. Mm-hmm. Not hot. Wide. And the, the venom is slow acting and symptoms might not like appear right away. So like, that's good because like you have time to get anti-venom, which did not exist at this time. <laughs> but you might so it's also, kind of wash, well, actually. you might also think, oh, maybe it didn't actually like get me because that can sometimes happen with venomous snakes where the venom doesn't actually release. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, I'm good. False sense of security here. Well, really, you're bleeding inside and dying. <laughs> so that's something to know about that snake. Yeah, watch out for your boom slangs. <laughs> the fakest sounding snake in the world. Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, Hagenbeck died in 1913. And before that, he sold his circus. Right. So we're going to talk about the what happened to the circus after he sold it. Sure. Leading up to our wreck. Yeah. We all know the ending. It's yes. just how we're going to get there. Uh, so Benjamin Wallace and James Anderson uh, bought a circus in 1884. Um, and they, they created the Great Wallace Show. I wonder what Anderson thought about the name. <laughs> so they actually gained some uh, publicity, not like for their show, but for a Supreme Court case. Mm-hmm. You know what they say about lawyers? Bunch of clowns. Yeah. I love you. I love you, you're too. You're just like, you're just pulling these out the whole time, huh? 
Well, one clown out of your pocket, another clown. It's like you have clown pockets. They drove up in a very small car, yes, but it's it's unlimited in there. So, uh, this court case was Blindstein versus Donaldson Lithographing Company. Mm-hmm. Basically, Wallace hired this one lithographing company to make several chromolithographs, which were used to produce posters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were made by George Blystein. And when Wallace ran out of posters, he hired the Donaldson Lithographing Company to make copies. Uh, the first company sued the second for copyright infringement, mm-hmm. and the second argued that it shouldn't be held to copyright protection because it's advertisement. And the court case uh, said that it didn't matter that it was advertising, that they were protected by copyright. Uh-huh. And it is um, a court case that is still used in these arguments now and cited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is the big precedent that ads have copyright, too. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I can't just say I'm loving it. No. I don't know why I'd want to. Yeah. I can't do it. Wallace bought out uh, his partner in 1890, and it became the B.E. Wallace Circus. Ha-ha! Victory at last! It was already, like, the Wallace Circus. Oh, that's right. (laughs) It went from the Great Wallace Show to the B.E. Wallace Circus. That's actually a step down. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So, in 1907, uh, Wallace purchased Carl Hagenbeck's circus and merged the two together, and it became his known as the Hagenbeck Wallace Circus. Now, Hagenbeck was like, what on earth? No, you can't use my name. I sold it to you. I'm not involved. I'm going to sue you. But he lost. Yeah, it turns out Wallace's law team is really versed in what does and does not count as copyright. Yeah. <laughs> They're very up to date. Now, in... March 1913, the circus um, unfortunately did lose a lot of animals to the Great Flood of 1913. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's an episode in its own one day. Maybe. Where was this flood? Across many uh, states. Uh, So it was a pretty great flood. It was a great flood. Okay. And Wallace uh, sold his share of the circus to Ed Ballard. Mm -hmm. So he did not own it when our great train wreck happened. So you're saying that the Hagenbeck-Wallace Circus was owned by neither Hagenbeck nor Wallace. No! At this point in time. Nope. Okay. All right. And with that, we're going to take a break. So where were we? We had a guy who made a circus and sold it to another guy who had a lot of legal trouble with his ads. And we sold it to another guy who who I like to call guy number three. Yeah. Yes. Who I think is the last owner. Okay. Well, before the accident. Okay. So on June 22nd, 1918. Happy uh, anniversary. Yes. Many, many years before we were alive. <laughs> Uh, the Hagenbeck Wallace uh, Circus had closed out two performances in Michigan City, Indiana. And they were traveling to Hammond, which was like 40 some miles away, not very far. Uh, the circus was traveling on a pair of trains. Uh, the first had the show's animals, and it arrived first at the destination. Mm-hmm. The second train had the performers, workers, um, their families. Um, And it was close to 4 a.m. when the train was having uh, mechanical problems. Mm -hmm. Um, The axle was overheated, and if they didn't stop and take care of it, um, 
there'd probably be a fire. Mm-hmm. So around Gary, Indiana, uh, not, not gonna Gary. No, I will not sing this song from okay. the music man. I will not be the little lispy child from the the music man. I gotta write something about River City so you can sing that one. I'll any day at the drop <laughs> of a hat. Uh, so the train uh, pulled off the main line of tracks for the most part. Uh, several of the end cars were still on the main line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan Central empty passenger train was also in the area. It was driven by engineer Alonzo Sargent, uh, who was also, as I mentioned, using these same tracks. Mm-hmm. Now, the engineer had missed um, at least... Two automatic uh, signals warning them that something was ahead. Mm-hmm. And the flagman on the circus car saw that the train was not stopping and ran down the tracks waving a flare in a last attempt uh, to stop them. Mm-hmm. He even, like, threw it at the locomotive window, hoping <laughs> that, like, he'd hear the thump. Uh, Alonzo, Alonzo, we have to talk. Uh, so the passenger train, with its steel frame, crashed into the caboose and the four wooden coaches of uh, the circus train at somewhere between 25 to 60 miles per hour. That's a big difference, but I don't know how much difference it'll make. I remember what happened four weeks ago. When everything was made of wood? Yeah. Yeah. Except for the ones made of steel. So the noise was so loud that nearby farms rushed to the scene. Uh, the two men that were stationed at the signal tower about 100 feet down um, phoned multiple people for help. Mm-hmm. Now, the majority of the 86 people who were killed uh, died within the first 30 seconds. Uh, the rest in the following fire, which happened when the train's kerosene lamps ignited the wood cars and a massive fireball happened. Another 127 were injured. Families and circus acts were split apart. You know, those who survived and those who did not. And at noon the next day, um, recovery was still being done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alonzo and others on the passenger train mm-hmm. um, were fine. They did not have any injuries. Uh, they were arrested. And now Alonzo refused to testify at any hearing uh, on advice of his counsel. But in the report... Like, the official accident report to the railroad, Mm -hmm. uh, he did say uh, the following. There was nothing defective about the air brakes or other mechanism of the engine or train that I was operating, nor was there any defective condition of any of the signals or track upon which I was operating to the best of my knowledge. The accident was due solely to the fact that I accidentally fell asleep, and I had no intent to injure any person, nor was same done with malice but solely through an accident, as aforesaid. Yeah, I'm sure this Alonzo guy always threw around words like aforesaid. Oh yeah, of course he did. Mm-hmm. All the time. But yeah, so he fell asleep. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. He was literally Just... asleep at the wheel. Yep. Yeah. Straight up fell asleep and missed the signals, missed someone chucking a flare at his head. Mm-hmm. He and his firemen were criminally charged, uh, but the jury uh, ended up being deadlocked, and it was declared a mistrial. They were not retried, uh, and the charges were dismissed in 1920. Mm -hmm. Uh, So four days after the crash, um, 1,500 people gathered at Woodlawn Cemetery in Forest Park, Illinois, just outside Chicago. Mm -hmm. 
not long before this, the Showman's League, which was a circus carnival performer like union, mm-hmm. um, under the leadership of John B. Warren, uh, they purchased a plot for 750 grave sites at the cemetery for future for future burials of its members. Mm-hmm. But you know they didn't think they'd need it quite this soon. They figured they'd be used one at a time. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Warren is was often quoted as having said that no showman need ever go to a pulper's grave. You know, they take care of their own. Mm-hmm. Especially since a lot of these people, unless their family's traveling with them, they probably don't have families. Right. So the area of the cemetery uh, was named Showman's Rest. I know when I was doing my, like, haunted episodes yeah um and some of the cemetery stories in chicago that i came across stuff for this i don't know if i ever talked about it i don't think you did and even if you did it's been yeah. years well there was definitely haunting yeah. ghosts Ooh, spookums i don't have any specific stories right now but <laughs> i'm sure they're out there maybe next halloween now they're especially because of this but there's a lot of stories there were only five identified victims that were buried there and um an additional 48 to 61 different accounts, depending on what papers you read. That's a swing of 13 people. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to acknowledge the fact that probably a lot of these bodies were in pieces. All right. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That would, that would make that make a little more sense. Yeah. And also old newspapers, not always accurate in what they say. Yeah. Yeah. But those could not be identified. Uh Uh-huh. Some because they were so badly burned that they were beyond recognition, and then some because the people who knew who they were were also dead. Mm. Um, It was not uncommon for circuses to take on temporary workers, and it is probable that they had probably taken on some new workers only date within the past couple days. So people hadn't had a chance to get to know everyone. Mm -hmm. There are markers... Um, within this area that say, like, unidentified male, unidentified female. There's ones that say, like, smiley or baldy, so, like, nicknames. Mm-hmm. And then there's a marker that's, like, four horse driver, which means someone knew that this person, they recognized them from work, mm-hmm. but they didn't know their name, Ugh. and no one else could identify their name. Mm. So the area is marked by five uh, large elephant statues mm-hmm. with uh, lower trunks, um, which signifies mourning. Apparently, if the trunks are up, it's like joy and triumph. You know who has their trunk up? Inventor of the steel rail car. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so a lot of stories have popped up uh, regarding these elephants. Um, there's a lot of like whispers and myths going around that there's actually just a bunch of elephants buried there. There's no elephants. Sorry to break it to you. No elephants. Now, over the years since that accident, Mm -hmm. other circus and carnival performers have been buried there. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, they had 750 grave sites, so it wasn't just for them. We've only used between 53 and 66 of them. Yes. Um, So it was, you know, still being used. Um, You know, other performers um, like Alexander... Alexander Sopinar, uh, who was a showman that was killed during World War II, or June Parrish Voorhees, who was a performer who appeared in the 1933 Century of Progress World's Fair. Mm-hmm. And people have been buried, like, 
you know, through the recent years, there were, there, I found some things about, you know, 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is still in use. Uh, now, after all this, the circus only missed two performances in the coming days. Well, the show must go on. Yeah. So they, they, they missed their Hammond performance. And uh, they were supposed to also perform up in Monroe, Wisconsin, but they did not. Uh, they were able to have the show go on because rival circuses lent performers and equipment um, so they could get back on their feet. Oh, that's, that's nice. And, yeah, and it's something where, like, at first you're like, oh my god, like, why didn't they take time off? But it's like, this is their livelihood. Mm-hmm. If they don't work, they don't eat. Yeah. They don't. They don't have anywhere to go for the most part. The majority of them live on the road. Right. They don't necessarily they, have homes to return to. They ran away to join the circus. Yes. That's, that's the yes. interview process. Yes. Uh, they did perform that September in Grant Park here in Chicago for a World War One benefit, mm-hmm. too. What, what happened next? Jeremiah Mugovin and Burt Bowers uh, acquired the circus... <laughs> Um, Did they rename it after any of the former owners? No. They added it to a long list of circuses they owned. Uh, And this is where it gets weird, because, like, earlier I said Ed Ballard was the one who bought it. Mm -hmm. But then, like, after these guys bought it, they had, like, Ed Ballard join them. So I don't know if he, like, rejoined them, or if the historical facts are kind of blurred. They bought out his shares, but kept him as an employee, maybe? Something. Whatever. They formed the American Circus Company, um, which they had many circuses um, that they owned and were a pretty large presence. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it was sold in 1929 to John Nicholas Ringling uh, for $1.7 million, which is $24.8 million now. Which meant that Ringling owned virtually every traveling circus in America at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1935, due to the Great Depression and Ringling's failing health, um, things started to falter, and the Hagenbeck Wallace Circus, as it existed at the, that time, the within Hagenbeck this. Hagenbeck Wallace Circus, a division of the American Circus Company, owned by yes. the Ringling Company. They they split. Yeah. Um, and they continued to operate until 1938 when they permanently closed. So, so what, uh, exists now of this? Right. Um, we do have, uh, the International Circus Hall of Fame, which sits where the Wallace Circus and American Circus Corporation Winter Quarters once sat. So where they would go when it was like off season Mm -hmm. because they couldn't travel anymore. This is also known as the Peru Circus Farm or Valley Farms. It is in Peru, Indiana. That's a weird place for them to winter. In Indiana? Yeah. Wouldn't you want it to be, like, where it isn't snowy and cold? Well, that's what Ringling did. They were in Florida. Well, there you go. The proof is in the pudding there. (laughs) This circus was primarily a Midwestern touring circus. Okay. So... I, to me, it makes sense in a way because they'd want to stay. You don't want to have to travel for like an extra week yeah. to get on the road when okay. it's time. Yeah, I think that's probably it. And it's also for those few, for those circus performers that do have places mm-hmm. and homes, it might be more 
closer to where they are. So Peru, Indiana was a, a good patch of land sort of centrally located in their turf, in their territory. Uh, yeah. Okay. So the home of the Circus Hall of Fame was originally in Florida, which, as I mentioned, um, Ringling Brothers had their winter quarters in Sarasota. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1956, uh, a Circus Hall of Fame opened in Sarasota, and um, it was very popular, but then by the 70s, it was not making any money, preparing <laughs> to close, things weren't looking good. Yeah, because everybody knows that Florida tourism died in the early 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, they had a lot of competition. Um, so in 1981, all the things that the Circus Hall of Fame owned were up for auction. Mm -hmm. And a group from Peru, Indiana, learned this was happening. Residents, businesses, and some state like government officials all contributed to purchase the entire collection. Ooh. And they opened the Hall of Fame in Peru. If you go to an auction trying to buy the entire collection, do you get a bulk discount? Do they, <laughs> do they just let you do that, or do you have to win every single time? I don't know. Uh, since then, though, they've continued to add to um, the collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a really shitty website, but there is a website <laughs> oh, out there no. with information to go vi visit. Well, their web designer is one of the unidentified bodies in the suburbs. It's, it's a bad website. It is so outdated, but it exists. It had a broken link, but it looks like they tried to do a GoFundMe to like preserve more things on this farm. If one link has to work <laughs> on your website. Well, I don't know if it doesn't work because like... The fundraising has since ended, and okay. they just haven't changed, like, the words. Okay, that could be. Like, or what? Come on. And in uh, 2006, the neo-futurists here in Chicago, one of our favorite theater companies, uh, mounted an original production uh, called Roustabout, the Great Circus Trainwreck. And it is basically my dream that they remount this show, because <laughs> I need to see it. Yeah. So if anyone from the Neo-Futurists happens to be listening to our show, which is very, very unlikely. But possible. Possible. Please bring it back. <laughs> if you wanted to do a back-to-back -back show with Burning Bluebeard and uh, the Great Circus Trainwreck, I'd be so down with that. And uh, with that, we'll be back with some letters. <laughs> Hello! Hello, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, and it's not over yet. No. So we have letters to read. Our first letter comes in from Joe, who also includes a picture of Muffin. Muffin! Who is a very good cat. But Joe also offers information. <gasps> For this episode, dear, you wanted to know everybody's favorite circus act. Yes. And Joe's favorite circus act is the great clown Romario Monini, Gundam pilot representing Neo-Portugal Neo in the 13th Gundam fight, as shown in Mobile Fighter G Gundam. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that one's special for you. It is. It is. I, I am called out in this letter, and no, no, don't worry about spoilers, Joe. Actually, when you sent it, I had not yet watched that episode, but I have now, so I will continue 
to not talk about it because you you just got to see it, folks. You got to see it. Yeah. She Gundam has a really slow start. I was kind of bouncing off it for a while. People like, no, no, it's about to be good. And they were so right. Yeah. 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 This is why people should re- listen to us about Riverdale. Right? It starts good and Ooh. it gets gooder. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Uh, Chris writes in to answer our circus prompt. And if they had to choose a performance, they would choose the trapeze performers uh, from Havana in the Circus Universal, uh, a show uh, run by mostly people of color. And if they're going to also answer our old prompt of favorite fringe group, uh, they're going to go with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church, who were a fringe group and like now aren't. So much. I mean, that's debatable. I can see it from both sides. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's certainly a, a very, very large fringe group. Yes. If if they qualify anymore. And uh, Chris gave us a show suggestion that I'm not going to share because it's a pretty good one. Thanks, Chris. New writer, new listener alert. We have Caridwin, another Australian uh, uh, fan, which We're is... so popular there. Right? I feel bad. We've only done one episode set there. (laughs) And maybe the most, like, stereotypical topic we could have picked? You gotta lay the foundation. (laughs) But, uh, Caridwin writes in with a few, uh, uh, with a few responses to the many, many prompts that it's, it's episode 82, dear. We've got a lot. Dang! Uh, but, uh... Favorite activist, Maryam Katun Mulkara, a trans woman from Iran who was absolutely pioneering in uh, getting uh, legal uh, recognition, uh, a, a right to transition, all of these uh, uh, foundational rights for trans people in uh, the, the state of Iran, which is not particularly known globally for its uh, uh, tolerance and LGBT rights. Yeah. She's just that good. And uh, for favorite circus act, mm, don't really have one, but there is a circus story. So uh, uh, young little Caridwen is, is there with their mother, seeing what there is to see out at the circus, their, their first circus. And there's a call out, who wants to ride a pony? And they're like, yeah, I want to ride that pony. Ponies are cool. So, Caridwin is taken down, put in a harness, put on the pony. It's awesome until the harness starts lifting. It, it is a, a trick, a gag, a, a big flying harness. Oh no, pony, where did you go? Oh. Teeny tiny Caridwin did not like this no. reversal of fortune. <laughs> not, not much at all. <laughs> I think I only went to like one real... Like regular circus as a kid, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm much more into Cirque du Soleil type circus. Mm-hmm. But I got picked to ride an elephant. Yeah, when I was like five. How'd that go? I don't remember actually doing it, but I remember we got home from the circus and we were on the news, and my mom started screaming. <laughs> like I remember that. I don't remember anything about actually doing it. Fantastic. <laughs> Anyway, apparently this this story about uh, a young bait and switched child appear uh, occurred around 2004 2005. So I am climbing into the grave and turning oh to dust. 
I feel old. Thanks, Caridwen. Mine happened in probably 1992. (laughs) Michael writes in uh, and shares an answer to our prompt of fringe group. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is uh, the group Nikam, uh, which is Hebrew for revenge. Uh, Nikam was created after the Holocaust by Abba Kovner. um, And the whole thing behind it was to kill six million Germans as revenge. And they plotted to poison water mains, um, but that failed because it was like found out and Kovner was arrested. Uh, but then plan B was to poison bread uh, to sicken thousands of SS prisoners. And apparently that was more successful. Uh, and Michael learned about this um, from a, a song about it by Daniel Kahn. So thank you, Michael. Thanks, Michael. We have yet another brand new listener writing hey. in for the first time. Uh, her name's Daisy, and she sends a lot of pictures of a sweet nine-year-old rescue dog. Aw, Millie. Millie is adorable and loves to lay on things. Yes. All of these pictures are Millie laying down in one posture or another, and I think that's good. Yeah. But she started listening uh, with our Riot Girl episode and has apparently listened to the entire 81 and counting backlog. Dang! So, nice. Good job! <laughs> but that comes with a whole lot of saved up prompts. So, her favorite circus act is uh, Zazel, legally known as uh, Rosa Marie Richter, the first recorded human cannonball. Ah. She was so immediately famous for inventing this brand new act, uh, and and she toured for years from the late 70s to the early 90s, that's the 1870s and 90s for those keeping score, uh, until she overshot herself and was put into early retirement because of a broken back. Uh, for a favorite mistake, we have yet another vote for the discovery of penicillin. Yeah. I think that's a clear winner for that one. Yes. And her favorite playwright is Agatha Christie, better known as a novelist, of course, but also responsible for The Mousetrap, the longest-running play at the West End, running continually since 1952. My god. If you go, there's a counter in the lobby that that keeps a running tally of how many performances, because wouldn't you at that point? I mean, yeah. Yeah. No spoilers. Don't spoil anybody. She also shares a request for uh, an episode on some Scottish history uh, and provides a a quite long and interesting list of of suggestions, uh, show suggestions along those lines. We've gotten a lot of different spookum suggestions from people this time. Everybody wants us to talk about their ghosts. Yep. Their personal ghosts or their favorite ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we just spoiled one of those suggestions, but... Well, Daisy gave a lot, so it's fine. (laughs) Thank you very much, and thank all of you for writing in. If you would like to send us an email uh, for the first time, for the 40th time, those can go... For the 81st time. Oh, none of you have done that. (laughs) Some are close, it feels like. Uh, but where can those go, dear? Podcast at gmail.com. That's right. We want your sh- stories. We want questions we can answer. Animal pictures. Animal pictures, of course. Oh, Millie. Oh, Muffin. Mm-hmm. 
the the M Club today. Yeah. Uh, and of course, our our responses to our usual prompts. And so for our next episode, I want to know everybody's favorite cheese. Ooh. If your cheese has a historical fact attached, that would be appreciated, but is not required. You, you can just tell us what it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to know the history of cheese. It's cool if you do, but you don't have to. Like, and no I, pressure. And I guess, spoiler, we're not going to teach it to you. It, it's a related element. Uh <laughs> There's a lot of disappointed people out there who are like, yes, I'm finally going to learn about cheese. Not yet. <laughs> but that's not the only way you can get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At History Honeys. That's the handle on all three of those social media venues. Uh, while you're out there, you can also leave us a rating and review on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere else you found us that gives you the option we love to see them. You can also tell a friend. Uh, word of mouth goes a long way. As I've always said, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your barista. Like, just tell people. It's nice. It's we, his birthday, so you should yeah, definitely tell people. We, we did mention it earlier in the episode in passing, but you are listening to this on the 6th or later. However, but, we are recording it on my actual birthday. So... I hope you've all enjoyed the fact that we've spent Grant's birthday with you, mm -hmm. which means you owe him. <laughs> Tell a friend. Leave us a rating and review. Th thank you, dear. Otherwise, you're being rude. Be, be nice. Be nice to the people, dear. We love them. They're, they're our best friends. Okay, you can just tell him happy birthday. It's fine. You don't have to do anything else. It'd be nice. They can just, like, shout it to the sky, like, happy birthday, Grant! And, like, someone will be like, why are you yelling? Who's Grant? And that's how you tell a friend. Yeah. And so, be like, oh, let me tell you about this podcast I listened to. You and, should listen to it, too. In this case, it's how you make a friend. Yeah. Anyhow, I Look, think... Look, I've solved the problem. <laughs> I think we've been doing uh, uh, housekeeping enough. You're just embarrassed, because I'm... Putting the spotlight on you. Incredibly embarrassed. So, I'm Grant. <laughs> I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.